I just want to thank you guys for all helping us. I know we moved around some of our gathering times, and thank you. Thank you, guys. You're an amazing church, and you're always willing to step up to the plate. So thank you for those of you that did move some stuff around. Thank you guys for being patient with us as we complete our construction project. I know the parking isn't perfect yet. Man, we have an amazing team out there working hard in the heat to make sure that y'all don't run over each other. You know what I mean? Thank you for being willing to turn right when you leave. I know that's tough. Thank you for that. We love you guys, right? Uh, you being willing to turn right and spend that extra two, three, four minutes to go find a way to turn around. You know, I mean, thank you all for that. It's awesome. We just want you to see more Baldwin County than you've ever seen, all right? But literally, we, we just can't thank you enough for being the kind of church that steps up to the plate. Today, we're kicking off a new series that I can't wait to, to, to kind of walk us through on the Lord's Prayer. And here's what I want you to know from the beginning. We want, we've been praying for weeks as a staff. What we want to happen with this series is we do not want us to just become experts on the Lord's Prayer, although you're going to learn stuff that you never imagined. Many of you probably grew up like I did reciting this prayer, maybe before a game or before an event. And maybe you didn't even know what you were saying. Well, you're going to learn a lot more about this prayer and why this prayer is so revolutionary. But the big thing we want from this is that you would become more of a praying person. That's what we want. We want Three Circle to become more of a praying church. And, and here's my hunch on this. This is like a suspicion I have. I bet many of us in this room pray far less than we want to. I bet many of us in this room would almost be embarrassed to admit how little we pray. And I think there's a reason for that. I think that we are intimidated by the whole process. I think that we don't pray as much as we would because we simply don't know how. We don't know where to start. In fact, it probably feels a little bit like this. Every January, I notice this at, at my gym at least. Maybe if you work out and you're at a gym, I notice that every January all right, they, they, at the gym, people show up because they want to get in shape, right? And, and they go, you know what? I want to get in better shape. So they go to the gym, right? And they walk into that. They open the doors and they look at that and they go, I don't know where to start. Like they know it's good. They know that people walk into these things and three months later they look great and they're in better shape. But if you walk to the gym and you don't have a clue what to do, that becomes very intimidating. What typically happens every January is people go buy their new outfits, buy their water bottle because they're excited, and then they get to the gym and they don't know what to do. They don't have a plan, so they walk in and they just start randomly getting on a machine or they pick up stuff, and, and it doesn't work because they, they don't have a plan. They don't know what they're doing. And then they get frustrated because there's no results. They feel like they're not doing it right. They know something's off, and they give up. And now they have a nice gym membership to pay for for the year because they signed a contract, but they're not going to use it. We see it happen every year. Now, what they needed was they needed a coach, right? They needed someone to tell them what to do, to take all the intimidation out of that and go, hey, when you get to the gym, do this, this, and this, and then the next day, do these things, and here's how to do those things. And now what you have, guess what? You have a blueprint. You have a plan. You have a blueprint on how to do it. Now, watch this. That's the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is Jesus teaching us how to do it. Here's how to pray. The blueprint is not there for you to say each word every day that way. It, it's not for you to just pray the prayer. You're going to find out that Jesus said to pray like this. Jesus gives us a blueprint. And I'm hoping that as we learn this, this will totally turn your prayer life upside down and that we'll pray more and that we'll pray like Jesus. Write it down. A blueprint is a guide. It's a design. It's a pattern that can be followed to achieve, act, or create. Now, that is the definition of a blueprint. 
So what it is is a guide. That's what Jesus gave us in the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray like this. So that you're not just standing there randomly doing stuff and then you quit doing it because you feel like you're not getting it right and you're not seeing results. No, Jesus says this is how to pray. Another thing I want you to understand about the Lord's Prayer is it's the ultimate blueprint for an effective, a transformative, and a biblical prayer life. Effective. When we pray the way God taught us to pray, things start happening. The book of James says that we have not because we ask not. I would also say that we have not because we don't ask in the way God told us to. God has told us how to approach Him. It's also important that it's transformative. Folks, don't miss this. Prayer is not for you to change God's mind. It's for Him to change you. Prayer realigns and reorients your life. It changes us and then biblical. We want our prayers to be biblical because, folks, at Three Circle, we're people of the Bible. We have a book. We, we have a God and His book, and He teaches us how to do things. So we want our prayers to be effective, transformative, and biblical. And what we'll see that Jesus is going to teach us that. He taught it twice, by the way. Once in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to study that. But He also privately told His disciples to pray like this. And whenever you see someone teach something the same way twice, you know they really meant that. That's what they meant. So one day the disciples actually asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Look in Luke 11, 1. It says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. Why did they ask him to teach them to pray? Why? Because they saw him praying. Write it down. Jesus modeled what he taught. See, the disciples only asked Jesus to teach them one thing. He taught them many things, but they asked him to teach them one thing. How do you pray? Why do you think they asked that? Because they're like you and I. They didn't know how. They had walked to the gym without a workout plan too many times. And they knew it wasn't working. And they knew they weren't very good at it. And they watched Jesus pray. And they knew that he was amazing. And noticed that the thing they saw that was so consistent in his life was prayer. So they go to him and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he does. He teaches them the prayer. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon of all time, Jesus decided to take a portion of the Sermon on the Mount and teach the world the same prayer that He taught His disciples. And we look at Matthew 6, 5-8, through 8, and we'll now read that. Now listen, this is very, very important. Before Jesus teaches you the prayer that we're going to learn, He actually teaches you how not to pray. Before Jesus taught us how to pray, He's real specific in teaching us how not to pray. Look what he said, Matthew 6, 5 through 8. He said, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So before Jesus teaches us how to, He teaches us how not to. The first thing I want you to see here is this. If when you go to the gym, you need a coach that knows what they're doing, okay, then you also need someone who knows what they're doing when it comes to prayer, if prayer is one of the crucial things in our lives. I don't know how you guys are, but when I go get my hair cut, I look at the person's hair that's cutting my hair. You with me on that? 
Like, if your hair is all messed up, I don't want you touching mine, all right? I don't want someone who's broke teaching me how to handle my finances. I don't want someone who's not in shape being the guy that tells me how to get in shape, okay? I want a person who practices what they preach. Anybody with me on that, right? Okay, so if I'm going to learn how to pray, most crucial thing in my life, who better to teach me than Jesus? See, that's why we should appreciate this so much. Watch this. Jesus, as fully God and fully man, is uniquely qualified to teach us how to pray. Have you ever thought about this? The Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray from the person who is on both sides of prayer. Only one human ever has known what it's like to be on the God side of prayer and the human side of prayer. Jesus alone. That's why this prayer is so important. Jesus, fully God, He knows what it's like to hear the prayers. Fully man, He knew what it was like to get on His knees every day in His own life and pray. No one knows how to pray like Jesus. That's why the disciples asked Him, would you teach us how to pray? And here we have it. Folks, this is Bible gold, all right? And yet, this has become a prayer that people just, you know, if you're like me before games, playing sports as a kid, it was like, all right, you know, where I grew up, you could still pray without someone trying to put you in jail for it, okay? And they say, all right, let's pray. And you get together and you go, uh, our Father, Lord, and have a prayer with our bread and Amen. Because you had it memorized and you got so good at it, it just kind of tumbled out of your mouth, never thinking about what it meant. Well, now you see that this is actually a revolutionary prayer. Also notice Jesus taught the priority of prayer. Notice what he says. He does not say, if you pray. What did he say, church? He said, when you pray. Jesus assumed that if you were going to follow him, you would be a person of prayer. That prayer was going to be a part of your life. It's not a try to. He doesn't say, if you can work it in your daily schedule, it is when you pray. Jesus is saying, you should pray if you follow me. You're going to pray. It's a priority. And by the way, he modeled that, right? He had prayed himself daily. Jesus taught us, don't miss it, how not to pray and how to pray. In the same teaching, he taught us how not to pray. He taught us how to pray. And then another thing that we see here in this first part is that he tells us specifically how he doesn't want you to pray. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't like how a lot of people prayed? And he's God, don't forget. And he said, I don't like the way a lot of people pray. Which means that God is telling you that he probably doesn't like the way we pray sometimes. And Jesus goes at two different types of praying that that is not acceptable to God. And really what he's talking about in his own context, because remember, we always have to look. If you want to understand the Bible, ask, who is this immediately addressed to? We know universally it's addressed to all of us. But who was the audience in the immediacy of when it was spoken? Jesus was talking to Jewish people who were under Roman rule, which means they had religious leaders who were Jewish, and they had pagan Romans who were ruling the land, right? And he talks about both of the ways they prayed. The first thing he goes at is the Jewish Pharisees. He says, do not pray like the hypocrites. And how did they pray? They prayed so that everyone could see them. Watch this. So Jesus first tells us prayer must not be a performance. Don't perform when you pray. He doesn't like that. He doesn't want that. He didn't ask for that. Okay? Prayer cannot be a performance. And the Pharisees wanted everyone to see them perform when they prayed. They had a schedule, and it was uh, 
at certain times of the day they would pray, and they would pray on the busiest parts of town. So they'd get on the biggest street corner. So like if you were going to pray like that, you'd get in front of as many people as you could, and out of one eye you're looking around to make sure everyone can see, and you go, okay, here we go. <clears throat> and you start praying. And Jesus says, don't pray like that. Now, you may go, well, that's just the Pharisees. Are you kidding me? I've watched people perform in prayer my whole life. As a kid, look, I grew up with Southern people, all right? And when, when my family got together, it was a bunch of Southern dudes, which meant it took about 30 seconds for everybody to start talking about hunting, all right? So immediately it goes to deer, okay? Deer and deer season and all of that. And it was funny. I remember as a little kid just so deeply watching this happen, and it was always really funny to me because I would listen to these men talk in their southern way, okay, at the get-together. So they're talking about the deer. Man, he's a big deer. They're southerner, big deer, big, big deer, 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 big. <laughs> we got it. And by the way, there's always a bigger one out there, right? I killed the eight-point, but there was a 400-pound, 12-point. Anyway, all this stuff. So I'm listening to all this, and it was always amazing when they would ask for someone to pray over the mill. Typically, it'd be one of the ladies would say, hey, will someone pray over the mill? And, and you know, it's... All of a sudden, one of these men who's been Willie Nelson all day long suddenly becomes King Arthur right there on the spot, and they begin to perform. I watched it over and over again. It's like, yeah, I'll do it. Everybody bow your heads. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. <laughs> what? Sean Connery just walked in the room. I'm telling you, George Strait was here five minutes ago, and now Sean Connery is here. How did this happen, right? Well, let me tell you why. They loved God. They were performing. And Jesus tells us, don't pray like that. God does not like that. Don't pray like that. He also says, don't use a ton of words and phrases and all that kind of stuff. Don't use chants and sentences over and over again. And, and oh man, did I grow up with that kind of stuff too. I could tell you, some people in my church, I knew exactly what they were going to say and how many times they had said it. I knew their cadence, man, like cranking a tractor, getting that carburetor going. They felt like they needed a warm heaven up, I guess, right? Like priming the pump to get the water out of it. And Jesus said, don't pray like that. Don't pray like the Roman pagans do. Now, there's an example of this in the Old Testament. You remember Elijah? The prophet Elijah had a showdown with the prophets of Baal. He had the real God. They had a false God. And it is very interesting if you look at the story how the two of them prayed. Do you remember what the prophets of Baal did? The, the deal was, we're going to have a contest, see whose God will call fire down out of heaven, right? The prophets of Baal prayed for hours, and you go look at it, they were using phrases and chants and these things that they said. Nothing happened. Elijah was a little, most good prophets are like good preachers. They're a little salty, got a little edge to them. And Elijah in the middle of the thing started making fun of them. You can go read it for yourself. He even said, maybe your God's in the bathroom right now. Maybe he's using the bathroom. You can go read it. It's right there in the Bible. I didn't make that up. All right? But then when it came time for him to pray, do you remember the prayer Elijah prayed? It took 15 seconds. He basically came out there and said, you're the living God. Uh, I'm asking you to please burn this stuff up, bring fire out of heaven. And it was like, almost like before Elijah could get it out of his mouth, boom, here comes the fire, right? And, and Jesus echoes that in the New Testament. He says, you don't have to perform. You don't have to use all these words. Simply pray this way. That's, that, that's what he's teaching us. So Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer both the content, both the content, what you say, the Lord's Prayer, and the motive, why you're praying. You're not performing. That's not what it's all about. They both are important. Why you pray and what you pray both 
matter. Both. And then we go to Matthew, to the Sermon on the Mount, and we see him teach us the prayer. He taught us how not to pray. Now he's going to teach us how to pray. Verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father, just hit the pause button. Do you hear how emphatic that is? Jesus is saying, this is how you pray. He's God, by the way, and man. And he says, when you pray, this is how you pray. You go, you mean I can't pray any other way? No. He gets to set the standard here. He's saying, this is how you pray. Not word for word. This is what prayer looks like. Here he goes. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this prayer. And the first thing I want you to see about this amazing thing that God has given us is that the Lord's Prayer has two halves. The first half is all about God's glory. Notice, it's all about His glory. It's all about Him and who He is. The Lord's Prayer does not start with you. And it does not start with your needs. I think most of us think, hey, all right, Lord, hello, uh, and now give me what I need. Bless me, heal me, provide for me. That comes later. The first thing that has to happen is you acknowledging who He is. The first half is all about God's glory. The second half is all about your needs. So there's nothing wrong with you praying about your needs, but there's an order to this thing. There's some things that need to happen in your heart before you start asking God for stuff. Does that make sense, church? Also notice that the Lord's Prayer addresses the three main features for creatures who are bound by time. You are a creature of time. God is not. God made time as a dimension for us to be in, but He's outside of time. Time does not affect God at all. You understand that? But we're affected by time, and the Lord's Prayer deals with three pieces of time that we deal with. Our past, our present, and our future. Notice that. Everything, all of us in this room, we deal with our past, we deal with what's right in front of us, and we deal with what's coming every day. And the prayer that Jesus taught us deals with all three. Forgive us our debts, what we've done. Forgive us, Lord, the past. Provide for us our daily bread today. And Lord, please lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil and the future. It's all there. What an amazing prayer. Every day Jesus says, "Deal." you're a creature of time. Jesus stepped into time, right? God came into this dimension of time for us. And he says, when we pray, we're creatures in time. We need to pray. God, deal with my past. God, help me with today. And God, I'm going to trust you to help me with tomorrow. Isn't that great, by the way, the way Jesus taught us to pray? And today what we're going to do, we looked at the whole prayer for a moment, but now we're going to begin to look at piece by piece. In the first two weeks of the series, today and next week, we're going to look at this first sentence, Matthew 6, 9. He said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Today we're going to look at the first part, our Father in heaven. Look at the first word. What's the first word Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer? What is it? Our. You will notice that in the Lord's Prayer, there's not a single personal pronoun. Our. What's, what's he teaching you here? When you were born into Christ, you were born into a family. You are not an only child. Believers are part of a family. It's not just my father, it's our father. And Jesus thought that when you prayed, one of the proper ways to orient your life is to remember you're part of a family. It's yet another reminder of how important the church is. 
And by the way, church is messy. If you're new to church and you're thinking, we heard three circles a great church, maybe we'll go there. You need to know we're not the perfect church. We don't get it right all the time. We're not perfect. Lord knows, we make you turn right when you leave today, okay? So we're going to frustrate you right out of the gate, okay? Right, so yeah, man, just know that. But church is messy and church is all that. But church is, listen, it is crucial. It's the family of God. It is. It matters. So yeah, it's, it's hard and, and all of that, but it's also beautiful and amazing, and I love the local church. And we believe it, and Jesus reminds us in the beginning, our Father. Now, so what he's telling you is, you're not an only child. You have brothers and sisters. I have three kids. I have to remind my kids sometimes. When it becomes all about one of them, I have to go, hey, you do know there's two other humans in this house that need stuff besides just you, right? Like you got a brother and a sister. Now, I was born to very young parents, so for five years... And that means my great-grandparents, my great-grandparents were healthy and alive when I was a kid. So for five years of my life, I was an only child. I was the only grandchild, only great-grandchild, only kid. It was all about me. And then my brother was born five years later, messed everything up. <laughs> messed my life up. My great-grandmother used to give me a, a $5 bill every time I saw her. It didn't take a week after my brother was born. That, that dropped to a buck. I started getting a dollar. I'm like, I thought, Mamma, I thought you were loaded, man. A dollar? A dollar. Right? It, listen, it was good for me to be reminded that I wasn't an only child. It was good for me to get some of the attention off of me. And, and it's good for you. Jesus said, we all need to remember when we come to our Father, it starts with, it's not just me. It's us together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he tells us Father, the word Father. Let's talk about a moment, this revolutionary idea that Jesus brought into focus here. Jesus was talking to Jewish people. They were terrified of God in many ways. They wouldn't even spell his name. They had certain ways they approached him. And then Jesus comes and he says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, our Daddy, Pray to Him intimately, like you know Him, like you have a relationship with Him. Folks, we can't even get how almost scandalous this was for the audience that heard Jesus teach this. This was revolutionary. They would have thought, I can't believe this guy's teaching us to talk to God like that. So the first thing Jesus did in calling God our Father is He brought Him to us, essentially. Write it down. This means God is imminent, and that word imminence means He is near. The first thing God, Jesus did for an audience that believed that God was far off, and many of you may believe that too, he said, no, no, God is near. This God, when you pray to him, he's your father. Now, it's important to notice this as well. Jesus did not say that God was father to everyone. There's a way that you become a child of God. Albert Moeller, a great theologian, wrote and said it like this. Jesus is affirming here a filial relationship that exists between the Creator and those who have been saved. So here it is. And those who have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ and adopted into God's family. So in a way, God is fatherly to everyone. In our modern way of thinking, there's this big idea that God's every, everyone's a child of God. We're all children of God. No, we're not. We're all created by God. God acts in a general fatherly way to, to all of creation, right? It rains. like None of us will be alive without God just being kind. We understand that, right? The earth just tilts a little bit. We're all done, right? 
One meteor flies randomly through the universe and hits the earth the right way, done. Or it's like a preacher I grew up would say, double done. You're then double done, all right? He'd say some people are double dumb and some people are double done, all right? So when we look at this, we see that no, no, everyone's not a child of God. Everyone's created by God, but to have a personal child-father relationship with this God, you must come through the Son. You must be born again. You must be adopted. If you're here today and, and you don't know Christ, I want you to know that's how you become a believer in Christ. That's how you come into this family and be a part of this family. And the Bible tells us this. It's pretty amazing. Look at Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. It says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. That word predestined scares too many people. It should be something we are very, very grateful for. What this means is your salvation was not random. It was planned. It means you matter so much to God, He planned for you. There's a ton of mystery in that. I don't understand all of that, but I am so grateful that I didn't just fall into this being a child of God thing. God created me for the purpose of being His child, pursued me, gave His own Son to buy this truth for me. Listen, I'm a child of God because God planned for it, and I'm grateful for that, and you should be too. How many of you are grateful for that truth? We're grateful for that truth. Now, see, here, here's the deal. I think many of us don't understand this truth, but I, I want you to get this before we read this next verse. So when I was a kid, I had good friends and I would get to know their families, right? And I do this with my own kids' uh, friends, okay? So what happens is you go to a, a friend's house long enough, and the parents begin to like you, and you're around a lot. And I remember several of my friends, their parents would say, Chris, you're just like one of our kids, man. When you come over here, you just act like this is your house. Just eat whatever. Because I would say, hey, can I get a drink out of the fridge? And it wouldn't take long. And these sweet mamas would say, hey, Chris, you just go in the fridge. You're just like one of us. You're like a part of the family. But we all know you're not really a part of the family. You're like part of the family. You might get treated like you're part of the family, but you're not officially a part of the family. And how do I know? Where's the dividing line? Let me make this real clear to you. It ain't real until you're in the will. Am I right? It ain't real. Every English teacher in the room's like, he's killing me. He's killing me. Don't say it again. Okay. It is not real until you're in the will. We know that's when you go, no, no, you're really a part of this family. We're not just saying you're like family, you are family. So now let's bring that back to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus wants you to understand you're not just like family, you're not just going to get treated like you're one of the family. Let's look at Romans 8:14. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Daddy, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Not like children, we are children of God. And if children, oh, it just got real because we're in the will. Look, and if you're children, you are heirs of God, and you are fellow heirs with Christ. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Folks, you are not like a child. By the blood of the Son of God, you have been given a seat at the table. You bear the name of God. And folks, it's real because you're in the will. You're an heir. Look at that, man. That truth jumps off the page at me. It's unbelievable, right? Look, man, like in the church I grew up in, there would have been some worship going on right there. You know what I mean? But I understand, you know, there's a lot of folks in the room that have a hard time with expression, all right? But I'm going to give you another chance at it. How many of you are just grateful for that? That truth, right? Write it down. We are adopted into the family of God. And it's amazing. And according to this, there's another big truth here that's almost mind-boggling. According to what we just read, this adoption is so real, it's so official, it's so legal, that because of Jesus, God loves us no less than he does Jesus. That's amazing. Now now watch this. That truth is where Jesus starts with prayer. When you start praying, before you start asking for stuff, You remember this. He's your father. You are his child. So Jesus first brings God near to us, but don't miss the next part. Our father who is in heaven. The moment Jesus gets you comfortable with the fact that you can get up in your daddy's lap, he is near, he is imminent, he reminds us he is also at the same time transcendent. He is overall. He is our father who is in heaven. And if you're going to learn to pray right, and you're going to get this right, you need to always remember that your God is both imminent and near, and He is transcendent. He's over all. He is in control of all. He's in power over all. There's no power beside Him, the Bible says. There's none like Him. He is an all-consuming fire. He is eternal. Demons tremble at the thought of Him. At the sound of His name, they hit their knees. All of hell trembles at the idea of this living God. So remember, this God who is so near is also so transcendent. He's over all. The the Bible reminds us of this, Deuteronomy 4.39. Know therefore today and lay lay it to your heart. That means you need to get this one. You ever talk to your kids like that? I'm like, hey, you need to remember who I am. Like, you need to get it, buddy. You've all been there, right? Don't leave me hanging here like, no, we ne Never. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth. There it is, transcendent and imminent, and there's no other. There's no other like him. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 5.2, look what he says. He says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. In other words, he's saying, God is transcendent, you are not. So let your words be few. Now I have to do this with my kids sometimes because I like to hang out and be a close dad and we play and have fun, but there's moments where I have to go, hey, 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 remember, I'm not your buddy. I'm dad. Right? Don't forget that. That's, that's what the Bible's doing here. It's saying, look, yes, he is your father. Yes, he loves you, but he's still God. And see, what the Bible does here through this prayer is the Lord's Prayer starts with a proper orientation of our hearts and our minds. That's where it starts. It's an orienting of our lives to remember who we are and who He is. 
That's where it has to start, or your prayers will not be good prayers. And here's why this is important. If I only approach God like He's transcendent and overall, then I'll never be close to Him. But if I only approach Him like He's near and imminent, I'll never respect Him. You see that? And Jesus says, when you pray, you must pray to a transcendent and imminent God so you will love Him and honor and respect Him. What this teaches us is we're just not free to approach God however we want. You're not free to approach God however you want. But when you approach Him the way Jesus told you to, you can approach Him like this, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to find help in time of need. Our team's going to come. How many of you are excited to take this journey with us through the Lord's Prayer? We're really excited. It's already changing my life. I think it will for you as well. Let's become praying people.